0: So we're gonna get in this tonight let's just open with prayer so lord i thank you so much for this time in your word we love your word thank you for the open heaven here your glory your presence in this place but lord i thank you the word of the Lord and I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said. Even now your Holy Spirit to move upon every one of us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus so that we can get locked in. I thank you Lord for that. I thank you that we're tuned into you tonight by the Holy Spirit who's moving upon us to give us good soil of hearts and minds and lives and anointed eyes and ears to see and hear as your Holy Spirit just broods over us and and draws us into the Word and opens us up to understand. Sometimes in our own selves, we have a hard time understanding certain things. But Lord, I thank you by your Holy Spirit, we can understand, Lord, wisdom and grace. And Lord, I thank you tonight as you speak to me, your living seeds of truth sown in the good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. In the winds of your Spirit carrying this out among the nations it will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to lord we thank you for it in any birds of the air jesus said they try to steal the seed in jesus name we agree together we bind anything of the enemy right now they would try to hinder this word it goes now in jesus name and back off and lord i thank you for your angels just clearing out any hindrance and everything's going to be accomplished and then through this time in the word that's god's will to be done For your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now I'm going to get into part two of the God of Blood Covenant. So I need to say this in the recording. If you did not hear part one, you do need to go back and hear it. Not that you have to hear it before this, but you need that information. Because part one is a subject matter that is going to lay the foundation for every other sermon throughout this whole series. And I I plan on spending some time with this. I know there's going to at least be 12 parts, maybe more. So we're going to spend a lot of time. And I believe that this sermon series is going to increase people's faith. It's going to help you. And so tonight I'm going to look at the subject of God's faithfulness. So God has cut a covenant with his people. And how many knows, I'm going to get into this next week, but how many knows we are not always necessarily as faithful as we should be to the Lord. But with that said, God is always faithful to his side of the covenant. And that's what I'm looking at tonight, okay? I talked about last week, what is the covenant? What does it look like? And then this week, I'm going to talk about God's faithfulness to it. And so everything that God Uh, agreed to, um, the um, oaths, if you will, the promises that's in that blood covenant, God is faithful to his end of that, that he will uphold his covenant. And that's what I really want to zero in on because I want people to have faith. How many knows that we need to have faith? And, And faith comes by hearing the word. And when you preach along these lines and you help people understand that it's in the covenant, what Jesus paid for, it helps people's faith to arise. And then when you see how God is so faithful to his side of the covenant, it helps us have faith in him to fulfill what he has promised. All right, so Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 11. I love this passage because Zechariah goes on to say, Now remember that he lived in a time, he was one of the prophets during the second temple period. So Ezra and Nehemiah went back and they were having to rebuild the temple. And they had a ton of opposition, especially Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. And so God sent Zechariah. He was one of the prophets sent to encourage them. And listen, though, to what he says here. As for you also, because, look at this, God said, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners who have the hope. This very day, I'm declaring that I will restore double to you. So let me paraphrase this. God is saying here, your people, Israel, you were in a waterless pit. You were in a hopeless situation. But I remembered my blood covenant. And I have delivered you out of a hopeless situation. And I've restored you back to the stronghold of Jerusalem. And I declare I will restore double what you've lost. Isn't that awesome? So tonight, remember, God is faithful to his blood covenant, that he can bring us out of impossible situations. God can break through and even the most desperate times, times that things seem so hopeless. God can deliver us out of hopeless situations. And then as he restores us back, he says, I'll even restore double what the enemy has stolen. Isn't that awesome? So with that said, who are this true seed of Abraham? Because God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay? So God said that I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So it was never God's intention that Abraham only be a blessing To the jewish people alone but that he is a blessing to all nations okay so in the bible goes on to say in another place that christ was crucified before the foundations of the world so this was god's eternal plan was that he would use abraham but through him he would be a blessing to all nations now i want you to see this tonight and God told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. So in Galatians 3.6, who are the true seed of Abraham? Galatians 3.6 says this, even Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, therefore know that those who are of faith, are you of faith, river of life? Y'all look this way and give me your best here tonight. Let this get in your spirit tonight. I know, I know sometimes we're at a season right now that there may be a little bit of spiritual warfare out there, but let this get in your spirit tonight. Okay, the Bible says, even Abraham who believed God, it says, Therefore know that those who are of faith are you of faith, are you of those that are born again? Okay, he said, Those that are of faith are the sons of Abraham. As the scripture says, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, "In you shall all the nations be blessed." So then, those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Okay, so let that get in your spirit tonight—that you are a son or a daughter of Abraham, and that by faith in Christ you have been brought into the covenant with Abraham. That by faith. You walked, like I talked about last week, you walked in that bloody soil with Abraham and God cut covenant with Abraham and with you because of your faith. Is everybody catching this tonight? And so the blessings given to Abraham are your inheritance. You are the seed of Abraham, born of God, circumcised in the heart. And then it goes on to say in Galatians 3.26, for all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So everybody say, I am of the seed of Abraham. Abraham. And the oath and blessings of Abraham is my inheritance. Get that in your spirit. Because, see, the reason I keep saying that phrase is because this produces faith in people. You have to understand, God saw this Christ was was crucified before the foundations of the world. God knew before he formed you in the womb who you were and he had already preordained so many things. Listen, when Abraham walked in that bloody soil, you were in that cut uh, that covenant with Abraham. You are a son or a daughter of Abraham and you share in that covenant. And Abraham was blessed in all things. So I'm gonna show you something that means a lot to me. I've shared this in River of Life before, but I wanna share this again tonight and just kind of get this on a video and also those that are just hearing this and you can't see this, you could always Google a seven-branch menorah. So this seven-branch menorah I'm holding up here is just an illustration. But if you read this on your own time, it's not in the notes, but Romans nine, ten, and 11, the Apostle Paul talked about, and he compared uh, the nation of Israel with an olive tree. And he goes on to say that there's natural branches, which are the Jews that have been born again. And then there's wild olive branches that have been grafted in, which are the Gentiles that are brought in. And he, and he said that all the branches, though, share in the nourishing sap, the root system. Okay. And so in the tabernacle of Moses, when you went through that, you went in the outer court and got past the bronze altar The sacrifices would take place to the laver. And then you went into that first uh, curtain. You went into the holy place. There was a table of showbread where there was unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, which represents the communion table. But on your left, there was a menorah, a seven-branch menorah. And I want to show you something about this because in the book of Revelation, the first church that Christ referenced was the church of Ephesus. And he said to return back to your first love, or he said, if you don't, I will remove your lampstand. And he was referring to the menorah. All right, so why did the Lord say, I will remove your lampstand? This is a little bit deeper, but do a study because it's interesting. When it said, return back to your first love, everybody just assumes that some kind of like a zeal or something. But in the Greek, it reads supreme love feast, and it has to do with the communion table. Did everybody catch that? And the, the, what is the communion table? It's our blood covenant meal. It's where we uh, kind of renew the covenant. So every time you take communion, or once a year when we have the Passover Seder, here is an illustrated sermon. It's a way of, for example, those of you that are married... You can renew your vows in a ceremony, but you were married all along. You're just renewing your vows. Every time we take communion, it's kind of like that. You're already the Lord's, but you're kind of renewing your vows, so to speak. You're, you're um, going back over the fact that I am a son or daughter of Abraham. I am a, 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 a child of blood covenant, and this is my covenant meal We're in a fresh way today. I remember the covenant and I bring my life under the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? So the Lord spoke to the church at Ephesus and said, return back to that supreme love feast, that communion table. He said, if you don't get back to that and deal with some things, because how many knows when we take communion as a church, we examine ourselves. We make sure that our lives are right with God. That's connected to what the Lord's saying there. Get back to your first love. Get back to the things you were doing before. He said, if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. So if you look at the tabernacle of Moses, and you were to to lay it down like two-dimensional, and you were to lay a person down on it, facing up, kind of lay them down on the tabernacle, their head would be at the Holy of Holies. How many can picture this in your mind, okay? And that's the Holy of Holies where the Ark was represents God's throne. But if you come down from there, the next thing you see is the altar of incense. You know what that represents? You take a hot coal from the bronze altar where the fire was burning. You put that on that golden altar and they would sprinkle incense on it. It would go up. The incense was four parts praise, worship, prayer, intercession out of a burning heart. So that represents a heart that is burning for the Lord, on fire for him. And out of that burning heart comes true praise and worship, prayer, and intercession. But as the hands would hang down, the left hand would be on the um, table of showbread. And how many knows there's something about the left hand, the left arm connected with the heart? If somebody has an issue with their heart, a lot of times they feel it in their left arm. So there's something there about the Lord saying, if you'll get back to your first love, if you'll get back to this communion table and and the blood covenant, and make sure things are right between me and you, then he says, if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. That's on the right-hand side. So your right hand, which speaks of power, the power of the Holy Spirit, would be on that menorah. Is this making sense? And isn't it interesting, with this in mind, that it said about the Lord that he had like the seven stars in his right hand. Do you remember that? And how many flames of fire on the menorah? All right, then as you go down a little further, around that labor area would be where the water, where they'd wash their hands, it would be around the stomach. And what does the Bible say? Out of your belly will flow what? Rivers. And then your feet would be what? At the bronze altar, and what does that represent? That's where the animals are sacrificed. That's where the blood is shed. You know what that's saying? That you're firmly, your feet are firmly established on the blood covenant. And so keep that in mind as I'm talking about this because there's a lot about this all through Scripture. So when Paul talked about this olive tree, what's interesting to me is this. So you see this menorah I'm holding up. If you, If you're listening, just imagine the seven-branch menorah. And when you read about it in the tabernacle, it appears like it's a little tree. Now, it's beaten out of pure gold, and it was beaten into a certain way where it would have a knop, a bud, and a bowl up all the way up the branches here. There was four different ones, a knop, bud, and a bowl, knop, bud, and a bowl, knop, bud, and a bowl, etc. There was four of them. And then on each branch that was connected to the center, there was three sets of three. So what does that look like? It looks like an almond tree. Which interestingly enough, if this is what the Lord intended, that the almond tree, look this up because it's beautiful. In the nation of Israel, every spring, the very first thing to bud and bloom is the almond tree and it puts out these beautiful white flowers. And it's really pretty. It's the type of thing that people go and take pictures by. So it looks like from the knob and button, the bowl, it looks like an almond tree, but also at the top, there would be these bowls and each one of these would be filled with pure oil. And so it also seems to be like an olive tree, which is interesting. So let me, let me just kind of paint a picture here on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and it was the birth of the church what did God give us at Pentecost? His Holy Spirit, right? If you go back before that 1,500 years on the day of Pentecost, what did God give the nation of Israel when he cut a blood covenant with them? He gave them the word of God, the Torah, through Moses. So listen to what I'm saying. God has a family tree. Did everybody catch that? And to his true family tree, He has given us what? His word and his spirit. And it's represented in this menorah. This represents God's family tree. And in this family tree, remember I said there on this center branch, the center branch represents Christ. Isn't that awesome? So it says out of a stump would come a shoot of Jesse. Remember that? And so the stump here represents the patriarchs. It represents this foundation area, the, the faith of Abraham passed to Isaac, passed to Jacob. It's their faith. Jesus said about Abraham, he saw my day. So the foundation here is the covenant that God cut with Abraham. And Abraham had faith in the one who was to come. Did y'all, did y'all see that? Every, did you know everybody that died before Christ on the cross died in faith in the one who was to come? So they were looking in the future, and they, they, every time they offered up a sacrifice at the temple, they did so in faith that one day the promised Messiah would come and fulfill all of this. So they were looking. Now we look back at the cross at what was completed. That's important for where this is going. But this foundation here was the covenant that God cut with Abraham. Out of that, the nation of Israel came and there was a shoot, there was a branch that came forth. This center branch that everything hinges on is Christ. He is the word become flesh and dwelled among us. And in that center branch, there was a knot but in a bowl a knot button a bowl, a knot button a bowl, a knot button a bowl. So there was twelve. And then if you take all these three on the side and you add it together, you have a total of thirty-nine. How many books are in the old covenant? Thirty-nine. Then if you take these three over here, three times three, three times three, three times three, it equals twenty seven. How many books are in the New Testament? Twenty seven. Isn't it interesting that God made sure that the word of God would be referenced in this menorah, both the old covenant and the new, it was prophesied that we would end up with a 66-book Bible that would be the word of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And Christ is the centerpiece in this. He's the one that came as the word made flesh. He fulfilled everything in the old covenant, and he established everything in the new. He is the one that everything hinges upon. He's the one that came up out of the covenant cut with Abraham, this foundation. He came up out of it and then everything is attached to him and hinges on him. He is the centerpiece of God's family tree. And so everyone before the cross see you look at these these branches Christ is the center so picture these right here on this side these three branches before Jesus came it seemed like there was two Jews for every one Gentile that was in the faith doesn't it But on the other side of the cross you look at these three branches it seems like there's two Gentiles for every Jew Isn't that interesting But everything points to him. And then whenever he came, not only was he the word become flesh and he established uh, the fulfillment of the word of God in every way, but he said this. He said, on the other side of the cross, you go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which was what? The Holy Spirit. So when you look at this, the Lord has given us his Holy Spirit. These seven uh, flames at the top with the oil represent the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says in Revelation, the seven spirits of God, but there's not seven Holy Spirits, it's in it, if you understand Isaiah, he said this, look, the spirit of the Lord, that's Christ, number one, then the spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, he comes in that sevenfold manifestation, So God has given us as his people the fullness of his word and the fullness of his Holy Spirit. That's what the Lord was saying to Ephesus. I have established my presence, my word, my anointing, my Holy Spirit, his gifts. I have established this in your midst. You are my blood covenant people. So as my family tree, I've put my menorah in your midst. You remember when Jesus, it says in Revelation, he walks among the lampstands? That's the churches. Isn't that something? But then he said, if you don't repent, though, and get things right between me and you, and you get back to this blood covenant, but get back to the covenant meal and making sure that things are right between us, he said, don't think I can't remove this out from your midst. Hello? Hello? What would that represent if the menorah was lost? Well, how about this? Church just becomes a social club. Worship just becomes entertainment. The word of God is only now motivational speeches. And there is no anointing and power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick or cast out demons anymore. The gifts are not in operation. Where's tongues, where's words of knowledge, where's prophecy. See, when the Lord removes his lampstand, that light of revelation also departs. And people aren't, people move into spiritual darkness and they don't even realize how dark things have actually become because they've gotten acclimated to it. So does this make sense tonight? God's family tree. You can see this. It's amazing. You see this all through the scriptures. The mystery of the menorah. But I want to show you tonight as a people of blood covenant that God has given you his word. He's given you his spirit. And last week I talked to you about all the different things that was paid for in the covenant. Okay, everything Christ paid for, the blessings given to Abraham, it has to do with what health and prosperity and favor and fruitfulness and victory and and your needs being met and all these different things. It was paid for in the covenant. So I want to show you something that any time that we're in trouble and we need the Lord's help, how many knows that God will remember his covenant? You you can come before him, and I believe it pleases him to do so, and say, Lord, I am in covenant with you. I am a son or daughter of Abraham, and you promised these things in the covenant. And I really need your help here. And you begin to seek him, the Lord will remember His blood covenant. And let me give you some scriptures. The God who remembers. Everybody say that. The God who remembers. So Genesis 8-1, I'm just going to show you that, that God has a pattern of doing this, okay, through Scripture. Genesis 8-1, you remember when judgment came on the world by, in the way of the flood and God told Noah to build the ark. But look at what it says in Genesis 8-1, but God remembered Noah. He had given Noah his promise that I will protect you and your family. And I will reestablish things with you. He had given him a covenant, given him a promise. And did you know why Noah took seven clean animals was for for sacrifices. He came out of that ark and built an altar and sacrificed animals and it kind of purified the world, if you will, from all that incredible evil that was there before him. And there was something called the Noahide laws that people adhered to before um, the days of Moses. So, It says God remembered Noah and then in Genesis 19 29 it says this thus it came about when God destroyed now remember that Lot for whatever reason chose to live in Sodom how many knows that you need to use some wisdom about the company you keep okay and Lot did not use a lot of wisdom but god remembered abraham look at this says thus it came about when god destroyed the cities of the valley that sodom and gomorrah that god remembered abraham and sent lot out of the midst of the overthrow some of you are concerned about your family let me tell you just as god delivered lot because he remembered abraham Don't think that the God of blood covenant will not send his angels to your children and grandchildren and deliver them because he remembers you. Yes, he most certainly will. And in Genesis thirty twenty-two, Then God remembered Rachel and gave heed to her and opened her womb. God remembered her. First Samuel 1, 19, we know the miraculous story of Samuel's birth. Remember, Hannah goes there and she's really praying and, and weeping before the Lord at the tabernacle in Shiloh, and Eli comes out, and he, you know before it was all said and done, Eli blessed Hannah and said, "May God give you the desires of what you're praying for." He blessed her, but look at what it says in Samuel, 1 Samuel 1:19. Then they arose, it's talking about um, Elkanah his wife or wives and family, they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord at the 10th temp- tabernacle and returned back to Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and look at this, and the Lord remembered her. She conceived and she brought forth Samuel, one of the most powerful prophets that the nation of Israel ever knew. What about Jeremiah 31, 20? Even though how many of you knows that Jeremiah lived in a day when Israel had backslidden so far that God was like, okay, that's it. I'm gonna wipe Jerusalem like you would a dirty dish. They're gonna be completely wiped out. And he said, I'm gonna send them into Babylonian captivity. But even in that, as apostate as they become, he says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child indeed? As often as I've spoken against him through the prophets, you know, and rebuked him and all that, I will certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Even when we're unfaithful, God will still remember his his side of the blood covenant. Some of you are going through some things in life. We go through this life. Jesus said, you will have troubles We've had different troubles in life. We've gone through warfare, all kinds of things. But I believe that through this sermon series, God is trying to highlight that we need to understand him as a God of blood covenant in a way maybe we haven't before. At least really put an emphasis on it and put an emphasis on what are the covenantal promises that God has given us and lay hold of that by faith that God is faithful to his end of the blood covenant. And it's interesting because I'd mentioned earlier the seven blessings of Passover. So at Passover, every year, we have an illustrated sermon here. We do a Passover meal because it was the Lord's last supper. So every year we do that, and I love it. It's really powerful, and everybody everybody that comes really loves it. But there were some promises that are attached to Passover, and these are going to sound really familiar because they're basically the covenantal promises. But there's a few things here. Look, it says this. If he said, if you will keep Passover, and it's talking about a reference to the blood covenant here, okay? But he says specifically health, healing and health. Number two, prosperity, number three, victory over your enemies. Number four, favor. Number five, angelic assistance. That's interesting because he specifically says, I will send an angel who will go before you and then fruitfulness and then entering your destiny. Those are specifically connected to Passover. If you study the promises associated with keeping it and and again, it's just a, so whenever we do this every year, picture it kind of like taking communion on steroids, right? <laughs> and not only that, it's kind of like renewing your vows. You're already married to the Lord. You already belong to him, but it's just kind of like renewing your vows. And so we go through this, it's a special time. But the promises associated with Passover and the communion table is, are these things. And I love that God said, I will send my angel who will go before you and take you in the way. So look at Exodus 23, 22. He says, if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, God says this to his blood covenant people, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. How many want God to be an enemy to your enemies? It's one thing if you're fighting your enemies. It's another thing if God's fighting your enemies. See, whenever a blood covenant was cut, and the two parties joined together in that bloody soil and took oaths, it was understood that my enemies are your enemies. If I'm in trouble, you come and fight my enemies. And if if you're in trouble, we're all going to strap the sword on and go fight your enemies. Well, have you ever noticed that the devil really never had a problem with you until you got saved? That's because Christ's enemy became your enemy. You ever thought about that? But in the same way, all of your enemies become his enemies. And we're not just dealing here. I know that primarily we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I know we're dealing with princes and powers and spiritual warfare. Believe me, I understand that. But I would add to this. What does Jesus say? He talks about how we're going to have some enemies out there people that hate us and are against us and all that. Look at Romans twelve nineteen. Paul said, never take your own revenge. Beloved, but leave, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink, and for in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome with evil. See, when people are an enemy to you and they're doing you wrong, you can't respond with evil and revenge and try to destroy them. You're going to have to give it to God. He said, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So in other words, whenever people choose to be an enemy against us, we have to understand the blood covenant. God told us as sons and daughters of Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. I will be an enemy to your enemies and the Bible goes on to say, leave room for the wrath of God. So whenever you forgive them and you bless them and you begin to pray, listen, God sees it and God will avenge. You gotta be careful how you deal with, with God's blood covenant people. And so I'm gonna close with this tonight and then then we're just gonna pray. But stubborn faith versus weak faith that gives up. When we understand and we really have a depth of faith and understanding of the blood covenant and in that the promises of God And we really get established in that. That's what I was saying last week in the sermon. Take those notes and keep going over them. I take communion every day. And I have the things that's in the sermon notes memorized. And I go over these things to myself out loud. I meditate on the word. I meditate on what God's promises are. And as I take communion, I'm, I'm declaring the promises of God out loud. And I'm laying hold of it. And it is so powerful. And what happens is, is that our faith gets strengthened in that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes things may delay, but God is always faithful to his end of the blood covenant, as long as we don't give up. And so like Jesus said, pray and keep praying, but don't give up. Amen. So let me show you a few things, because sometimes we're just simply dealing with complicated issues that we don't understand but in judges six twenty five, god sent an angel to appear to gideon and many of you know the story the angel said you know great man of valor and gideon looks around who me you know and that whole story and then he lays a fleece and you know gideon by and large was not somebody that was this you know man of great faith and power here okay he had a lot of doubt fear and unbelief But God appeared to him and still called him, and he ended up doing great exploits. As a matter of fact, God used him in probably one of the most miraculous victories in the Scriptures. With 300 men, remember, he defeated this huge army with just the shofar. But look at how it all started, though. In Judges 6.25, Gideon's father's household, his his parents, his family, were worshiping Baal. Not only were they worshiping Baal at a distance, they decided they needed to build an altar to Baal in their backyard and put up an Asherah pole. And so God appears to Gideon and is saying, basically, if I could paraphrase it this way, Gideon, I want to use you, but you're going to have to deal with that family stronghold that's in your backyard. You're going to have to tear that down and you're going to have to bring it under the blood of of my covenant and to cancel that thing out. Is that making sense? Is this what God told him? Now on the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and I want you to tear down that altar bell which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole that's beside it. And I want you to build an altar to the Lord your God on top of it. Look at what he says, on top of this stronghold. God understood that this was a family stronghold that had Gideon in bondage. That might have been why he was intimidated like he was and hindered until he dealt with this. As It seems to me like Gideon was, was kind of wimpy, but later on, he rose up and was actually quite bold. I think that something spiritual broke here. and He said this, uh, put the bull, you're gonna build an altar to God on top of this stronghold of Baal in an orderly way, and take a second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole, which you cut down. Uh, in other words, you're gonna burn this thing to ashes, and you're gonna put my blood of the covenant on top of it, and my blood of the covenant is gonna cancel out any covenant with Baal. And I'm going to liberate you from this family stronghold. And then I'm going to be able to use you to shift the destiny of a nation with one of the greatest victories that this nation's ever seen. Something that people will talk about for the rest. It's written in the Bible. We're still talking about it now. And so God had to deal with it, but he had to bring his blood covenant over it and cancel it out. Now look at this. Now, remember that Gideon being an Israelite at this time was somebody of blood covenant. He was connected to the blood covenant, but because of his unfaithfulness, his family's unfaithfulness, he was not in right standing with God for God to use him or bless him. He had to deal with things. God was saying to him, I want you to get my forgiveness and come back to the blood covenant that i'm faithful to but you haven't been come back to that is this making sense tonight next week we'll deal more with that part of it but joshua same thing with joshua here 5 10 they had just come out of uh, the wilderness wanderings and as the children of Israel had crossed the jordan remember the story all of the forefathers had died that were unfaithful. Now the younger generation's coming through. The, the priest had to go carry the ark into the Jordan River. And when their feet stepped into it, the Bible says it parted just like the Red Sea and dried up. And Israel, while the priests are standing there with the ark, the nation of Israel walked through that. And it was a baptism into Joshua. And they get into there. Now remember Baptism. They get in there to, the, to um, Gilgal. And look at this. It says, when the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. But I want you to notice something. Before they celebrated Passover, Joshua had to take a flint knife and he had to circumcise all of the young men because they didn't do it in the wilderness. Now, some people, I read a commentary where they were saying, well, it was because they were out in the wilderness and there was all these winds and sand and all this. That's a bunch of bull. Let me tell you what it is. It's that that generation was unfaithful to God. That's why they died in the wilderness. They refused. God told them, I want you to circumcise your son on the eighth day. And they said, no. And God says, you're the generation that's going to die out here. But I'll take those kids in. And so the first thing Joshua had to do was circumcise every one of them and bring them back into right standing with God. They had to deal with their disobedience, their rebellion, their sin. Amen? And then once they dealt with that, God brought them to, to, together with Joshua. And now that they're circumcised and they've dealt with their sin, they celebrated Passover. And it says in verse 11, then on the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and roasted grain. And look at this. And it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, he raised up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, who are you? Are you for us or our enemies? And the Bible says that this was an angel. It was a a prince angel. And he says, I'm the captain of the armies of God. Did you, did you catch all of this? They ha- God was faithful to his end of the blood covenant. They're the ones that were rebellious when they dealt with their sin, when they came back to Passover, they came back to the blood covenant and they got in right standing with God. They came back into the covenantal blessings and promises associated with that covenant. And when they did that, God sent an angel before me. You know what that angel did? He, he led them in the victory of Jericho. Some people say, well, how did the walls fall? That angel knocked them down. Did you hear what I said? Maybe not just him. Maybe he positioned angels all around it. Nobody knows. But the angels of the Lord were the ones that knocked that wall down. And also caused the supernatural victory over Jericho. So you can see here that there's a principle where God is so faithful. But if we will return to him, the Lord has never betrayed his end of the covenant. He's always been faithful. We're the ones that have gotten out of sorts with him. We're the ones that have gotten in sin or allowed ourselves to get in disobedience or rebellion. And sometimes there's just complicated issues that are beyond us. And we begin to seek the Lord as to why, Lord, you've you've given us these promises in your covenant and i'm praying about this and i'm not seeing this but sometimes there's some complicated issues that we really don't understand because we don't see them with our natural eye and god has to give us revelation what am i dealing with and god will show you maybe there's some complicated issues in your family bloodline that has hindered you and held you back like gideon Maybe there's some complicated issues of spiritual warfare that you're you're not really understanding, but God can show you what you're dealing with and how to overcome it. But the victory will come when when we're in right standing with God and we have faith in the blood covenant and God can reveal to us what we need to know to get the victory. That's the key because a lot of times if you're not seeing it, there's something that must be understood. I remember an example of this, not that it's, this is always the case. But Derek Prince wrote that book, um, They Shall Expel Demons, and he's talking about all these different situations throughout the whole book. It's an amazing book I think every Christian should read. But at the very end of it, he said, every once in a while, you'll run across somebody that just seems like they're just a battleground, and you can't get a victory for them for nothing. You pray about it, and then, he said, you realize that you're dealing with somebody that somehow that person, even though they seem insignificant, totally unimportant to everybody, yet they possibly are some kind of a divine connection to their entire family being saved or maybe a group of people being saved, that their salvation will unlock a lot of other salvations. And he said that you don't see that about them because they just look like average Joe. And he said, so when you're dealing with somebody that seems like this battleground, you don't understand why is it so difficult? It's probably because there's a harvest of souls connected to him. And he says that Satan will muster up his forces against that person. Sometimes even in the second heaven, they'll be dealing with princes and powers. And he said, you've got to discern how do you bind up and restrain the enemy and get them freed up from this warfare that's trying to hinder them how many knows the enemy isn't overly threatened by you but he's threatened by your destiny being fulfilled that's what he's after and sometimes people don't understand why in the world am i dealing with all of this well maybe there's it's connected to your destiny maybe there's some things that god's called you to do and there's some serious warfare against that So sometimes there's complicated issues, but if we pray and get discernment, God will give us victory. Because how many of us whenever the Lord spoke to Joshua, he said, I'm gonna give you Jericho. They walk up and look at Jericho and it's an impossible thing in the natural. I mean, the thing has got the huge walls. There's no way the people of Jericho are laughing at him. But God says, look, I'm with you. I'll give it to you. He had to get revelation. And the Lord said, here's the revelation. It came by angels. Here's the revelation. March around it once a day. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times. When you get done, I want you to blast the shofar and lift up a shout. That was the revelation. And when they did that, God brought a supernatural victory. So we need to lay hold of the fact that we are a people blood covenant. God is faithful to his end of the covenant. And we know what our covenantal promises are like we talked about last week. If we're not seeing something, we need to say, Lord, where am I missing it? This must be some kind of a complicated issue that maybe I'm not understanding. There's got to be something that I'm not putting together here. What, and God will give you revelation and help you understand what it is. But ultimately, if you're in right standing with God and you have faith in him and his word, There is nothing that is impossible for him that believes. There's nothing. It doesn't matter. Whatever God has promised you, whatever you're called to do, it doesn't matter what impossible. There may be a Goliath standing in front of you. There could be a wall of Jericho in front of you. Whatever it is that seems impossible, if God's for you, there is nothing that can actually be against you. God will move it. You get in front of a Red Sea with an army coming and it's impossible. All of a sudden, the sea parts? Who's ever even heard of such a thing? God can make a way where Peter's in prison, chained to guards, locked up, and impossible. And next thing you know, he's walking in the streets, coming out of it like, how did I even get here? God can turn impossible. In fact, it seems like God delights in turning impossible situations around. But he will come through for his blood covenant people. And let me say this as I'm going to close out with this. That God, I believe that God likes this. He likes people that have like a bold faith. He wants us to be like this. That you come before him with humility. But the Bible says we can come with boldness before the throne of grace. You understand? So you come with humility, but you're saying, Lord... I am your son. I am a son of blood covenant. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of Abraham. And the oath and blessings given Abraham are my inheritance. And I am a, I'm a son of blood covenant. And based on the blood covenant, these are the promises of God in my life. And Lord, I need a victory in this area. And Lord, I'm asking you for it in Jesus' name. And you begin to come with a confidence in who you are and what you have in Christ. And did you ever think about the fact that it is a reward for Christ's suffering? when you get your victory. Did you ever think of it that way? That whenever you're healed of something, it is a reward for Christ going through that whipping post. Whenever you get delivered or you get a victory, you get a testimony, it's a reward to Christ that, that I suffered for them so that they could have this. And the Lord rejoices over that and rejoices over the testimonies that come because of that. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are a people blood covenant tonight. Lord, that you cut covenant and you are faithful to your end of the blood covenant. And, Lord, tonight as we're going to spend a few moments here in prayer. But, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, help us to get this established in us, Lord, that, that we have so much faith that goes down into the fact that we are your sons and daughters, sons and daughters of God sons and daughters of Abraham. And as the Bible says, you're with us as a mighty, terrible one, that you, Lord, are an enemy to our enemies. You will arise and your enemies are scattered. Those who hate you flee before you. You will send your angels to be around us as your blood covenant people to deliver us. And they'll go before us and take us into our destiny. Lord, I thank you as your blood covenant people that you are faithful to your end of the covenant. And whatever we need, wherever it is we're lacking, Lord, you, you will be faithful to give us the victory if we faint not, if we will press in and not grow weary, and we will press in and keep praying and believing God. There is a victory. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Listen, so tonight I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I want to go ahead just whenever you're done back there, you can just kind of close it down. And I want to thank those that joined us online tonight. I pray this is a great encouragement to you. God is on the move.